trust in money remains the bedrock of stability. The soul of money is trust. I, I think we are not paying sufficient attention to the law of unintended consequences. In the immortal words of the doors, the time to hesitate is through. Julian Figueroa, how you going, man? Thanks for having me. This is fun. I don't do well. You know what? I've started to do more podcasts recently. Yeah, well, you blown up. Interesting. Right? I I actually do listen to them back sometimes, and I try and get a little better at them each time. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I apart from the editing, um, I don't really listen back to these podcasts. Maybe I will at some point in the future when I've exhausted all of the podcasts, but, um, yeah, no, you're, uh, you're blowing up, man. You, 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 you've been putting out these videos. Um, and for those that don't know who Julian is, like you, you have this real talent, this real knack of condensing some of the most complex concepts into an under a minute video right for the social medias, right? You know, Instagram reels and TikTok and stuff like that. And, um, and they're just really great quality ones. Well, I think the one that caught my attention was, um, and it wasn't for the reason you probably think it was the one when you were, uh, you had like a filter on that made you look like a girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it was an attractive female, to be fair. Like, you yeah. make an attractive female. Yeah. Um, which, you know, fair play to you. It is what it is. <laughs> um, there's, there's the daughter my parents wish they had, maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, look, it, it, it's 2023, man. Anything is hey, possible. Man. You know what my pronouns are on my, uh, my Instagram? They're jurgeners. Uh, Perfect. Because on your Instagram, you can go in and you can set your pronouns, but they have like a preset list. So you can have the he, she, they, them, all those. But then they got some really weird ones in there. And maybe for anyone watching that's in that world, they could tell me what the jurgeners mean. But those are my pronouns. I'm a jurgeners. Okay. Well, I will not be referring to you as those pronouns on this podcast because <laughs> um, uh, I just can't be bothered pronouncing them. But um, not because I don't respect your preference for pronouns. That's that's up to you, brother. That's okay. There's a, there's a bigot born every day. I'll I'll just uh, I'll just take it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Sis yes, scum. <laughs> Cancel me. Cancel me on my own yeah. show. Um. Yeah. There's just this knack for for condensing these high level, high concept, you know, concepts, which which is intrinsic to Bitcoin. Like these things that Bitcoin touches can get real complicated real quick and you have a real nice knack of of delivering a concise message that i guess anyone can pick up and you know um just recently you had a a particular video and i'm struggling to recall what it was now but um maybe you could remind me um of 
it, it just went wild. It was something to do with inflation. I think it it led off with a with a a, a woman complaining about high prices or something like that. But it was just yeah, it, it was, was perfect. It, it was this video because I, I I watched this other uh, this other TikTok creator and uh, his name's Jordan the Stallion and he was doing all these videos just responding to people's TikToks and it was like TikTok has this duet thing where people will will just say you know what's the craziest thing you learned as an adult or like what's something that you learned that should be illegal or or you know random things like that and. I don't know. I, I I've just been spending some time on all those apps. I actually avoided TikTok all pandemic, and then I just started getting into it when I started making my own content because I realized I kind of have to know you know why people use these apps, so I got to use it myself. But <laughs> anyways, I, I've done a couple videos like that, and the format is essentially like a random person on TikTok. You know, there was one I did where it was like, if you had twenty four hours with me, what would you do? And then I just go off on like a like a 40, 50 second unhinged rant, <laughs> maybe not so unhinged about uh, how inflation is theft and, and no one's talking about it. And yeah, that one in particular I did, it's now up at like almost four and a half million views on Instagram. Fire. And the comment section is wild because the whole premise of the video is that you know, the left uh, is blaming everything on, on, on these people and the right is blaming everything on these people. But when you want to dig into the societal malaise and economic inequality, it actually comes from theft and money and all the incentives there. And the comment section, I have just like, I've learned so much from that in the last few days that that thing has kind of gone nuts. Half the people in the comment section are saying, oh, so you're basically a leftist. You're basically <laughs> a, you know, a proponent of communism and all that, which it's kind of crazy because the communists and, and it specifically Marx was one of the biggest proponents of state banks. Uh, so I don't think I'd fit that. And then the other side of, of people are saying like, oh, you're, you know, you're racist. This is just like a, a, a right wing guy. And then people are saying, oh, this guy's just like a woke centrist. And it's just everyone in the comment section trying to like pin down what political ideology I, I am, which in, misses entirely the point of the video, which is that none of it matters. Like we're all being stolen from. Right. And some of us are benefiting from it because we understand the system and we we play those, you know, fiat games and then the rest of us are getting robbed. And it's just amazing that like, you know, that gets missed and people are just so into just trying to figure out what you are and, and to put you into like some sort of case. Um, but it's fascinating. Like that was the first real video I've had that just blew up. And it's been such a learning experience as to, you know. I guess the the psyche of the world, like it's just like a little microcosm of of where we are politically and and our viewpoints economically and our financial literacy and all that stuff. So yeah, it's wild to me that um, people. I mean, maybe this has always been the case, but obviously, social media gives you a real easy medium to just express opinions, spray it, just spray it, irrespective of whether you're correct or not, because it's just like you know, this kind of silicon soapbox that everyone can just jump up on and, and just, just blur. Um, mm. I like that you framed it quite politely, actually, that you've learned a lot. Um, I, I don't know, like, I guess you did learn, I mean, in so many ways. I, 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 was, I was reading through, I sometimes read through the comments of some of these sorts of videos, yours and others, and I actually feel like I'm getting dumber and stupider for reading them and then I recognize my time scarcity and go, oh, I can't do this anymore. Like this is, mm -hmm. this is not right. So, um, yeah, uh, 
Fair play. Well, you know, um, Saifedean, the uh, Amus, or Amus, I, I can't pronounce his last name properly, uh, writer of the Bitcoin Standard, I, I made this post and I was saying, oh my God, I, I wrote this post on Twitter. I'm getting all these comments on my video. Some of them are ridiculous. You know, should I try and correct these people or just ignore them? Because I think the default answer is, you know, time is scarce. Don't waste your time responding to the Instagram comments. But on the other hand, you know, as someone that hopes more people get orange pilled and wake up, you want to kind of be a bit of an educator. And if, you know, other people are going to come and correct these people, then, you know, they can go off their day being ignorant. And, you know, Satoshi has this quote, if you don't get it or don't understand it, I don't have time to explain it. Sorry. And that's sort of like the Bitcoin mantra. Once you've been here for a while, you just stop trying to answer every single bit of FUD and misunderstanding about the way the world works and the way that money works. Um, but Saifedean wrote this really nice thing. And he said uh, that I used to respond to my Facebook comments uh, all the time. And my wife told me that if you took every minute that you spent responding to those comments, uh, you could probably write a book. And ever since then, I've just ignored all these idiots and every time I feel like commenting, I just write some more uh, towards my next book. And I thought, that's a great perspective to have, you know, because that way you're still contributing and helping, but you're not wasting your time, right? Totally. That's a great, a great framing because, yeah, I mean, time scarcity, man. And that's kind of why we're in Bitcoin. Once you click that and, mm -hmm. and a couple of other key concepts, there's no going back. So to that end, how did you discover Bitcoin? How did I discover Bitcoin? All right. So here's the segment of the show where I go off for 20 minutes explaining my, my silly little go. story. All right. Um, first off, I don't know if you're getting video, but I'm wearing a, a shirt right now that says Ethereum on it. <laughs> the but, listeners aren't uh, getting of, video, but uh, that's a stylish shirt. You've got two shitcoin I'll emoticons. Offer, I'll explain it. Oh, yeah, it's two poop emojis, one reflecting the other to make the Ethereum diamond. Uh, so <laughs> proud of that. Uh, shout out to Madex. He gave me this. Um, all right. So what's my Bitcoin origin story? Uh, well, I actually first touched Bitcoin back in 2013 uh, when I wanted to buy something off of the infamous uh marketplace that people used back in the day and uh it wasn't anything too crazy um actually something that in my current country is not illegal anymore to purchase <laughs> uh, but was back in the day um and i used bitcoin and i approached it just from a utility perspective i needed that bitcoin to get the thing that i wanted so i figured out a way to get it i think i used local bitcoins at the time um i think i i, I met up with some person and did, did it with cash it was silly I got my thing on the internet. I didn't think about it for three years after that. I just thought, okay, well, this is cool. I don't really need to use it anymore. It was just money. You know, I, I thought of it almost like I just needed to get some Swiss francs to buy something from like a Swiss real, uh, you know, place or whatever. So <laughs> I just thought of it like money. That was my first approach to it. It's just, it's just a different form of money. I just, I couldn't use Canadian dollars on this site for whatever reason. I know the reason. Uh, so I got the Bitcoin instead. Don't touch it. Don't think about it for three years. And then in 2016, um, I don't exactly remember what the catalyst was, but Ethereum started popping up on my radar and Bitcoin. And there were just like little mumblings about it. And I think Bitcoin was three or four hundred dollars back then. And Ethereum was 
like five dollars and i was watching it and i saw a video i think it was andreas antonopoulos or someone talking about this concept of smart contracts what if you could program conditions into money that would only fulfill you know one side of the transaction if said condition was met and that was really intriguing to me because i always thought well it's kind of you know I, I know what it's like to work with you know, middlemen and as someone in the film industry, you know what it's like when you sign a contract and someone doesn't uphold it. And what if you could, you know, have something that verified it? So I went really down the rabbit hole of Ethereum uh, a lot more before I really got into Bitcoin and understanding money. And so at the end of my first year of university in 2016, I put basically all my cash, it was like $3,000 at the time, into Ethereum. And I put it all into Ethereum at I think it was $13 a pop. And that sounds great today. But back then, what happened is I, as soon as I bought all my Ethereum at $13 a pop, two days later, the DAO hack happened. And a little history lesson, if people know the DAO hack, basically, um, this one Ethereum smart contract, uh, you know, DApp project, which had about 20% of all Ethereum at the time, uh, basically it was compromised and hacked. And so the Ethereum Foundation and the developers made a really tough decision to essentially fork the network and make all those coins invalid. And that's why we have Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. And during that whole debacle, the price of Ethereum dropped 50, 60, 70%. At that point, I was like, okay, well, it was a lot of money for me back then, but realistically, you know, I'll graduate, I'll be able to make it back. So there's no point in selling it. I'll just, you know, ride this out to zero. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it took a couple months to recover, and the rest is history. Like Ethereum and Bitcoin both went on these pretty record-setting runs in 2016, 2017. Um, I sold Ethereum on the way up, you know, did some stuff with that. I bought my first car. I actually pulled out enough to start my own film production business because at the time I was working for another one. And, uh, yeah, it afforded me some financial sovereignty and independence. And... I started getting a little bit frustrated with Ethereum because after that point, I, I was just inundated with all these promises. It was like, you know, ICO for this, uh, CryptoKitties for that. And I just saw that, okay, it's been two years and none of these projects have really created any value outside of speculative token. Of course, in 2018, all these things end up being rug pulls. <laughs> and basically what you were left with was, you know, a pile of kind of random cryptocurrency side projects, Cardano and all that. And they're still around technically Ripple. Uh, but essentially you were just left with Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I said, well, I don't have a lot of Bitcoin, so I should probably get some of that. So I started moving some of my Ethereum money into Bitcoin uh, because that also looked like it was it didn't do nearly as bad on the downside as, as Ethereum did. Um, so I got into that. And then um, just started to dive a little bit deeper into this. But, you know, back in 2018, it was pre-Sailor uh, on all the podcasts explaining how Bitcoin is energy and money is energy and, and all, the, all the great metaphors that he uses to really illuminate, you know, the, the power of the technology. It was the only person I feel who was really able to craft um, a story and a really compelling narrative around Bitcoin was Andreas Antonopoulos. And I consumed all of his TED Talks, his podcast appearances, everything from that guy. He was the only person who really, to me, explained the power of Bitcoin and what decentralized sound money could really offer the world. Um, and so after consuming a lot of that stuff, um, I got a lot more into Bitcoin. Fast track into 
end of 2018, in Canada, we had an exchange called Quadriga CX. It was the biggest crypto exchange in Canada. Um, I won't dive into the story there, but the founder uh, mysteriously dies one day in India and uh, everything is lost. And the whole thing looks like an exit scam and, you know, similar to FTX, but on a smaller, more Canadian scale. Um, I was really rocked by that because I had not kept all my Bitcoin in custody. A lot of it was on there. So I sort of had to start from scratch. And uh, the first thing I did was as like almost like a form of therapy was to just make a video about it. Like I was rocked. I had lost the equivalent of two years of a salary, basically from that and i was shook to my my core because i had cashed out some bitcoin and crypto and all that but that was still a very significant chunk of just progress and you really feel it like time stolen from you and i'm sure there's lots of people on this that have lost money on you know whether it be mount gox or BlockFi or ftx or one of those um so what i did you know instead of like pouting about it only is i said okay why don't i just talk about it on video and so i made my first youtube video you can go back to my youtube channel kinetic finance and check it out and it's me about 30 40 pounds heavier talking about how um this whole thing happened and just recapping the story and i'm very awkward in it and i just not ever really been a in front of camera person and uh that was kind of the beginning of my journey to creating content on bitcoin and i got an okay response from it um and I'll just I'll, I'll fast track over the next few years. Basically, 2019 onwards was a mix of me running my own video production company, which I had built uh, starting 2017, 2018, uh, doing YouTube videos as sort of a hobby, and just trading and learning about Bitcoin. And you know, every great story it seems nowadays starts with, and then the pandemic, <clears throat> and then the pandemic happened, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, that happened. Uh, Sailor, you know, comes to the forefront. He does his first Bitcoin purchase around my birthday. And I thought, screw it. Why not? I joined him. I, uh, I, I stacked some coins when I heard that MicroStrategy news in August of 2020. And then um, I just started absorbing everything. And I started to read the books like the Bitcoin standards. Um, I can't even remember all of them now. Check. I mean, there's so many new ones. Check your financial privilege, the seventh property from Eric Yates. Um, Yates. There, there are so many great books on Bitcoin. I just started consuming them. I got into reading because of Bitcoin. I used to never read books, really. Uh, just a big watcher of everything, movies, TV, YouTube. Got into reading books, got deep down the rabbit hole, and then that, I think, you know, led to a marked improvement in my Bitcoin content because I understood it a lot more. I wasn't just regurgitating the news of the week. And so as I became a better Bitcoiner, uh, more knowledgeable on it, I started to think, why don't I try and do this for real and like not just do it as a hobby? Because I wish there was someone explaining Bitcoin to me in short form, someone who made it entertaining when I was getting into my journey. I probably would have bought Bitcoin a lot earlier if that content was there um, because that's what I like to watch. Like I'm, I'm, I love comedies. I love dramas. I love, you know, YouTuber essays. I, I probably watch two to three hours of YouTube a day. I don't know if I'm proud of that. I, I try and justify it by saying, oh, you know, it helps me make my videos better. But yeah, it's been a whirlwind of experimentation, adaptation, um, constant learning to get to the point where I am now, where I have kind of this trifecta of 
different content that I produce. One of them being the short videos that we talked about every week, twice a week, I try and put out a 60 second explainer on Bitcoin, something on hard money, some cool economic fact, um, just to kind of pique people's curiosity into our world and to hopefully teach something to somebody and also maybe entertain them too. Um, that's become a, a much bigger aspect of my videos recently is to not just you know, inundate people with facts, but try and really create a story and entertain people. Cause I think that's, you know, really how we connect with multiple generations is to make people laugh, but also teach them something. Um, the other pillar of what I do is I create these kind of mid longer form documentaries. I travel down to Guatemala to uh, explore a Bitcoin circular economy. I talked with a company that is making, you know, the world's first Bitcoin heaters. Uh, so they're like boilers and they are, you know, they're powered by ASICs. So they not only provide heat like an electric boiler, but they give you some Bitcoin on the side. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just trying to find all these interesting stories in Bitcoin that hopefully will challenge people's perceptions about it, that it's not just something for billionaires, uh, you know, to, to speculate on, that it's not just something for people in North America to benefit from trying to find all these stories that really challenge uh people's perceptions on bitcoin and then on fridays uh i try and stick to it but i do a live show where i just get to talk about the news of the week and that for me i hope people get a lot of value out of that but for me the most important thing is that it helps me become better at public speaking and not scripting myself because all the other content i do is very heavily workshopped edited and scripted down to like a t um, and this is a place where i can just let loose a little bit and then hopefully you know practice my public speaking from the comfort of my own office but yeah that's that's the story that's all of it right there man you went through the ringer you you've gone through the whole horseshoe there you know i know we got how many minutes left in the podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's um i mean what what struck me when you were talking about your discovery of of um ethereum is um this the thing that piqued your interest was the notion of smart contracts and mm -hmm. it was like the utility because i dare say you know being from the western hemisphere your money worked like you know what you don't need to really think about it, it kind of works kind of works you know and particularly pre 2020 let's say it really fucking worked relative to now in terms of like inflation and such but um for all intents and purposes it kind of worked it worked it was good enough and so then the utility on top of that, of like, oh, these smart contracts, and then obviously your experience within film and um, people upholding bargains or their end of the bargain and, or not, as the case may be. And so that was the thing that sort of piqued your interest. It reminded me of Pete Wynn, uh, who we had on the podcast way back at the start of the start of this whole thing. I think it's episode three, maybe. Um, and he was thinking about these things too, like Ethereum versus Bitcoin and, and so on. And his conclusion was that like Ethereum is trying to put all the things into the money as opposed to all of the things on top of the money later on. Like, we, we, you know, like just you're getting the cart before the horse here. But mm -hmm. it's easy to make that mistake because if, if you're from a, from a region that whose money kind of works really. Um, and so I guess that I'm, I hesitate to word, use the word distraction because there's probably a bit of value in there for you. Obviously, you bought your own car. It was able to you to set up your own production company. 
and certainly, you know, yielded a, a sufficient amount of value. But ultimately, the opportunity cost of not buying Bitcoin at that time and fully grokking that. I don't want to. I don't want to besmirch the actual math on this, but at the time, I actually did benefit more from buying Ethereum. Not that I'm an Ethereum maxi or anything like that, but if you look at Ethereum's rise from, uh, you know, like twelve dollars to fourteen hundred US outdid Bitcoin's 400 to, to 17,000 or whatever, or 18,000. Uh, so I did, I did well on it. Um, and then it was on the way down and then getting rug pulled by Quadriga where, <laughs> you know, maybe if I had been a Bitcoiner, I would have learned the not your keys, not your coin thing a little better. Let's just say that. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, with that turning into a, a, um, a shitcoin apologist, um, you know, Oh, yeah. And I'll get this off my chest because I, I think eventually if I keep growing, people will dive into this. Um, I, I wasn't like just casually into the shit coins. I really bought into <laughs> it for a while. So much so that part of my production company was marketing towards ICOs. And I was actually responsible uh, for directly or indirectly creating about 40 animated promotional videos for ICOs. Every single one of them, most of them didn't even rug. Most of them didn't even launch, which was nice, but a couple of them did rug. Um, and I did the marketing materials on it because I bought the whole thing, tooth, line, and sinker, that like, you know, this was going to be, you know, decentralizing everything was the way to go. And, you know, there had to be a token attached. I bought all of that stuff. And it was a very long process to unlearn all that, especially when you work as a marketer in the space, because you have to buy it a little bit, at least a little bit, or else you can't create a compelling script, right? You can't talk really well about something that you have absolutely no belief in. So I had to buy into it inherently to run my business. And I'm not proud of it. Um, I don't think many people got hurt. A lot of these things were very obscure, um, none of which exist today, basically. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a big process to, to unlearn all that stuff. Unlearning is the, the key, the key word here, because mm -hmm. um, a lot of people suffer from like, uh, what's it called? First conclusion bias. Like you, you see the mm -hmm. thing initially and you're just like, you take the first answer effectively, the first explanation. And, and then effectively, if that's good enough, then you just shut yourself off for all other alternatives. And, um, you know, that's not how parachutes work and that's not how minds ought to work. You know, you have to keep them open. You have to keep them um, ready, ready to receive new information or air, so that you don't smash into the ground. Um, mm -hmm. And just being able to recognize that ability to unlearn suggests that there's like an element of curiosity. I mean, the fact that you go down these rabbit holes in the first place of Ethereum and so on is like a sense of curiosity and. Um, uh, strive for i guess betterment you know learning learning so mm -hmm. okay i learned this that was incorrect your error correct and you start to unlearn that stuff rather than double down and just become an asshole <laughs> you know I, I was thinking about this a lot the other day so i went to public school for most of my childhood but my dad actually homeschooled me for about two years he was a teacher 
um, you know, hated the school system, still hates the school system. Uh, and especially up here in Canada, we have a egregious history of uh, the way that we've treated specifically uh, First Nations kids all over uh, the country and have done some really terrible things through our public education system to them. And he's protested them. Um, but one of the things that I think has helped me become open minded about things was going through that homeschooling process, because even if your dad's a teacher, there's going to be times where as a teacher, you run into problems teaching and you feel like, is this the best way I could be teaching, you know, my son or, or whatever. And so I learned through his experimentation that there's always more than one way to do something. And that, you know, also going through homeschool that, you know, not everything they teach you in school is the only path to understanding things. And that a lot of what they teach you in school is nonsense. And I've, I've, I have all sorts of stories I could dive into about like all the frustrations I had growing up in public school. Like I, I graduated a year early and they almost wanted to hold me back because it didn't follow some sort of like procedure for their graduation checklist or whatever um and it was some like really tiny thing they want they they were like not submitting my transcripts to to university at the time and it was all almost like as if they they had like a vendetta because i was trying to do something out of process so i learned like from a pretty early age that you know you have to break down uh these these bureaucratic rules sometimes and be open minded to change and discovery because otherwise you you play by these like false pretenses of how things have to be done and I, I see so much of it sometimes when i see people comment they're like deflation has to exist or else nobody will spend anything and it's like yeah if that's what you've been hammered in your brain your whole life if that is the system that you live in then it's really hard to pull yourself out of that and to see something different and if i if someone just told me you know deflation made everyone poor i'd probably buy that up until like two years ago until I had to go through this unlearning process of what that actually means through reading Price of Tomorrow and getting those solid examples of, you know, memory cards always go down in value, but that doesn't mean that SanDisk is going bankrupt, right? You have to really, really go out on a limb and seek to unlearn things rather than have the unlearning kind of naturally happen. So I don't know where I'm going with that, but yeah, I mean, it was the same thing with like, shit coins i think i essentially i had to force myself to say if i'm going to understand bitcoin i have to unlearn shit coins yeah you 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 have to just decalcify your your neural networks and keep them pliable you know yeah. brain plasticity is we know relatively well enough about that and that's now a tool like if you can uh, recognize that concept, it's now a tool that you can employ in your day to day when you're receiving information so that you can sufficiently develop cognitively and um, and and keep striving forward, you know, otherwise you just you just end up in a place of stasis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what happens in stasis, you know, decay, rot, and everything just regresses back. And it's... Um, it's not how human beings live. We're kind of, we're kind of constantly fending off entropy. You know, that's the whole point here. And, um, and so that whole first conclusion bias is a real trip for a lot of people, as you could see with your, you know, comments section underneath that, that video. It's, it's like, um, and just the will to not even consider that what you might be saying could be at least 
50% correct or 20% correct or whatever and just have that itch and and be curious enough to want to go ahead and and scratch it not to mm-hmm. mention the fact that they completely missed your point in the first place and just tried to pigeonhole you as you as you said into um some sort of political you know camp how has discovering bitcoin changed you um I am still being changed by Bitcoin. I, I kind of feel like the changing of myself through the discovery of Bitcoin has only just started. And a lot of that comes down to time preference, uh, the whole mm-hmm. you know short time preference or, or high time preference versus low time preference. And uh, just applying that viewpoint to everything in life. Um, one of the things for sure and you can go back and notice this is that uh, I've lost 30 ish stubborn pounds that I had for probably about the last six years, starting beginning of this year. As I got more into making videos, I didn't want to, you know, see myself like a chubby face. And I was realizing, well, I'm going to probably do videos where I'm standing up and people are going to see my side profile and all that stuff. And maybe I'm too, uh, too um, self critical or whatever but i just decided hey uh i can lose this weight i've wanted to lose it i've tried all these fad diets so i ended up doing something close to carnivore keto but it was a lot more meat than anything else and i lost the weight and i'm still on keto i kind of went off for a bit but i got um you know back on at the end but case of time preference there too because you know the weight helps you look better in the videos for the long term their memories are going to keep forever maybe one day you know my grandchildren will see all the stupid videos i made and ultimately i i think somebody said this and it's 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 tough to live by because we all have different circumstances but you know your body is a reflection of your discipline in all aspects of life if you can have a very you know in shape body i know that there's genetics that play a factor but generally if you're in shape to a reasonable degree, it tells people a lot about you right off the bat. It tells people that you care about what you consume, you care about your image, you care about um, your health, and and it goes a long way in making a good first impression. Um, they say don't read a book by its cover, but I think it, I think it matters a little bit. I don't judge people who are not you know perfectly in shape because it's always a journey. It's a, it's a never ending journey really to maintain uh, physical shape. But Bitcoin's changed me a lot in that because. Just reading these books and understanding that time preference and then also going to Bitcoin meetups where for some reason everyone's like jacked and in shape. Like it's it's so weird seeing some of these Bitcoiners at, at meetups and they're they're playing basketball or they're doing something and they're all like completely ripped. And I'm I'm sitting here thinking, like, what? Like, where are they finding the time for this? <laughs> and realizing that I don't have to just sit there and, and you know be envious or jealous and I can actually just go out and do it myself. I just have to prioritize things. It's very empowering. So that's a bit of what Bitcoin's brought to me. Uh, Bitcoin has changed my time preference in the way that I think about money. I used to be really into trading and arbitraging and, and short-term trading. And I do a little bit of it now, but I've really scaled it back to think more about long-term investing. Um, I am one of those Bitcoin maxis that is not you know, all in on Bitcoin. So maybe I'm not a true maxi. I think it is worthwhile to invest in enterprises and entrepreneurs who are creating value for the world. And even if it's denominated in fiat today, doesn't mean that those products or people or, or businesses will cease to exist under a Bitcoin standard. So 
I look at companies like NVIDIA and I look at companies like Square and I see what they're doing to improve the world uh, through technology, through products, through, through making life cheaper, faster, better for people. And I think those are also worthwhile investments uh, versus how I used to treat them everything, which was just trade it, you know, just scalp everything and try and make a buck. Now I'm trying to learn more about value investing uh, because of Bitcoin. Warren Buffett would uh, be gawking right now if he knew that that's what Bitcoin leads to sometimes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Bitcoin has a real impact on, on time preference. It's changed the way that I eat. It's changed the way that I think about investing. It's changed the way that I've approached real estate and uh, you know building on my own property. Um, it's changed the way that I am starting really now thinking about clothing. I used to just buy the cheapest stuff because I thought it would, it's so silly to pay $300 for a shirt or uh, for a jacket or whatever. Um, but now I'm realizing that, you know, there's a reason that some of those things cost three, five hundred thousands of dollars is because they're built to last for generations. Um, and so you can either pay a hundred bucks today for a shirt that you'll have to replace once every two years, or you can buy something timeless that'll last 20 years and, and pay five times as much. And then you're actually saving money, uh, you know, by doing that. So, you know, the whole time preference aspect of Bitcoin and really focusing on the long term and, and building a future has just changed the way that I act as a consumer. It changes the way that I act as a producer. I really try and stay away from making videos about the news because I know that those videos will not be relevant in two weeks or two months or whatever. So when I make videos about things, I try and make them something that will still make sense a year or two from now. I'll use pop culture references, sure, but I'll try and really be precise with the ones that I pick, memes and whatnot that hopefully will still resonate with people a year or two from now versus just, you know, jumping on a fad that's not really going to make any sense into the future. So, yeah. I used to, um, I think I've always had a low time preference. I just didn't have a word for it. Mm -hmm. So I would always, uh, you know, my grandfather used to say, poor man pays twice. And, um, you know, you apply that to certain things like consumer goods and stuff. And I remember when Yeti had sort of first hit the shores, you know, Yeti, the, the sort of cooler, um, oh, yeah. you know, sort of brand, outdoorsman sort of thing. Um, we don't have outdoorsmen in Australia. We just have... Um, people that go to the bush <laughs> but, um, <laughs> everyone you know what uh, i love about australia is all those um uh primitive technology videos they're all in australia and like you guys have been such pioneers of the the tiny house movement i'm curious <laughs> what you think about that because there's like a split bitcoiner opinion on that where some bitcoiners are saying oh you know we're only fascinated with tiny homes because everyone's too poor to afford a real home and no one's you know should be living in these cages but another part of me is also thinking like, I think, you know, minimalism when it comes to your home is sometimes a good thing. We don't need to live in these massive homes that we don't occupy every inch of and, and it becomes wasteful over time to have such big homes. Where, where do you land on that sort of perspective I, on tiny homes from a Bitcoiner lens? I haven't really given it too much thought. My initial opinion or my initial thoughts and really need to be mindful of first conclusion bias here. But uh, I think um, that they are symptomatic of like a, a, a fiat high time preference mindset. I think there's a lot of value to be had. It's, it's almost like inflation is a vector, right? So tiny homes mm -hmm. are a vector. If they suit you, 
to move into one. Sweet. If you can fit your life into it, if you have, you know, two, three, four kids, maybe not, maybe not. But uh, maybe if you're running solo or, you know, you've got a partnership going on, sweet, rock it out, you know, move, drag one onto a property somewhere and, and I don't know, start, start building. Um, so it's, it's more of a vector thing. I will say mm. that I am an advocate for boomers and I, I love boomers. My parents are boomers, but I, I am an advocate for them to move into tiny homes, um, you know, at some point. Uh, we used to call them granny flats, <laughs> mm. but now here in Australia, um, we have, you know, young families moving into granny flats, um, which is sad. So it's, it's like an indictment. It's, again, it's one of these nuanced, complex subjects to unpick and unpack. And you mm. do not get that in the traditional news sense of the word. Uh, if you espouse an opinion that says, like, we should all move boomers into tiny homes, then you're all of a sudden a conservative right-wing asshole. And if you say, yeah, man, like, let do do whatever, then you're like, you know, it, I, I don't have time for any of that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, look, to each his own. Like, what I would say is if you voluntarily want to move into a tiny home, go for it. Yeah. Like it's none of my business. <laughs> that's, that's my for, opinion. On for me there, I, I, I have, you know, I've sort of built one on one of my, on my property. Um, I have a property on an Island off the coast of Vancouver, which is one of the most expensive cities in the world, but uh, only because no one makes any money here. Um, <laughs> but to me, it's been this amazing learning opportunity uh, because you can build these things without permits um, and you can really learn about architecture. You can learn about plumbing, carpentry, all these things through them. And for me, I don't mind the tiny home living as long as I have land that I can just go out on. Like I don't mind being in a tiny space. There's something cozy about it. Like humans have always trended towards igloos and, and little, you know, little huts, even though they have all the land they could ever want. Just because the upkeep and the management of them is 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 so minimal compared to like a massive house that takes a lot more fuel to heat or takes a lot more you know care to kind of keep clean and all that. So you know, yeah, there, there's different ways to look at it, but I, I totally agree with you. Like I think a lot of people, out of just the the monetary standpoint, have been forced or coerced into them, and they almost beautify uh, you know living in them or the whole van like the van life things. One that I just I have friends who do it, but I can't get on board with that as like a long-term thing. I'm, I'm always astonished by the van lifers who do it for more than two years. Um, that to me is too small of a space. And then, you know, almost none of them have bathrooms to not have your own toilet, uh, your sovereign toilet. I think it's a very sovereign important throne. thing to have in a home. Um, but yeah, no, it's interesting. Like, it's so cool because as a Bitcoin, you can look at all these things through different lenses and see the incentives that made these things popular or unpopular. Um, and then, you know, tear that away and, and view what those things are on their own merits and, and what those things might be valued in a Bitcoin standard type of society. Totally. I have uh, an internal Seyfedean in my head when I'm sort of, you know, going around my day, uh, particularly if I'm like out in the world, like in public going up to the shops or some sort of errand, whatever. And, um, and, you know, considering certain things, Oh, well, that's interesting. And then you'll have like an internal safety come in and say, no, 
like a little you know, safe, safety on your uh, a little you shoulders. Do, you that's, do it. that's a shit coin. Man, that would be a funny skit. That would be a funny skit. Have the little uh this the, the angel, <laughs> the safety devil, the the pragmatic Bitcoiner versus the like hardcore Austrian on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, I'm hungry, man. It's like, yeah, but it's crap food. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I need a place to Try live. Yeah, but it's a tiny little house. <laughs> um, you know, uh, that's kind of uh, the, the lens that you can apply to, to Bitcoin to your life. You know, it's really cool. You, you can go to you can go to uni. Say, I went to uni and did sort of sociology and communications, and um, you you're taught these sorts of theories and lenses that you can apply to certain. You know, when it comes to writing a thesis, say. Um, and I've realized since discovering Bitcoin that most of them are just like fairly useless mm. unless you have like, because they're all downstream of, of effectively a sound money sort of lens and, and like, well, not even a sound money lens, a, a, a sound economics lens, you know, a sound way to assess how a particular subsection of the, of the community is economizing things. Um, mm. and, uh, it's helpful in that regard, but this isn't a show about me. This is a show about you. And I want to know, you kind of touched on it just a little bit earlier, um, but what have you learned about yourself and the world more importantly, since discovering Bitcoin? What have I learned about myself and the world? Mm -hmm. um, I think I think when it comes to myself, I've been able to develop, I think, a set of principles, and I am still working on it uh, for things that I stand for a lot easier. You know, I was pretty, pretty left wing, and I think a lot of young people are, um, because they want everything out of the world. You know, they, they, they see the power of technology, and they, they wonder why can't we have free healthcare, free university, free all this when there's so much, you know, seemingly abundance everywhere we look. And they say it's because of the billionaires and it's because of the tax system. It's because some people aren't paying their fair share. And so I've gotten obviously out of that stuff, the whole idea of, you know, you're not entitled to the fruits of anyone's labor, in my opinion, doesn't matter what. Um, but yeah, like it's helped me ground some principles on certain things better. And because of that, it's also made me a better debater on things. But I also, you know, realize that you have to be pretty Socratic with people. You can sometimes ram your bullheaded opinion down their throat, call them an idiot and, you know, facts, explain them and then walk away. But sometimes it's good to be subtle with the knowledge that you have and let people discover what you've already learned by you know, debating them down a certain rabbit hole. One of my favorite, um, you know, styles of interview and debate is like Steven Crowder or some of these conservative guys, because they will be very Socratic in the way that they will help people reveal their hypocrisies and contradictions in the way that they think. And I want to get more adept at doing that. It takes a very good listener and a very strategic kind of way of talking to people to really get people to illuminate some of the contradictions that they they hold as beliefs 
Um, and I don't want to do that to, you know, make people feel bad about themselves or embarrass people, but I think it's a valuable thing to do because it inspires other people to, to think differently as well. So, uh, again, I don't know, like, like that to me, the, the role that Bitcoin has in all of that, um, is just hopefully helping me better elucidate my thoughts and opinions. Um, it's challenged me because I think when you have something as straight and cut and just no no scraps um no excess in bitcoin's code and bitcoin's design it's just so perfectly engineered that there's just no excess there's nothing missing it's 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 solid um it makes you want to create a bit of that framework for yourself and the way that you speak you know one of the things that i've done and i credit it to bitcoin is I started listening to podcasts of myself and appearances, and I probably have done it a bunch in this one, is just not using filler words, saying a like and um and ah. Uh, and I realized, why do I, why do I do that all the time? And I looked up some things, and it's basically because instead of taking pauses or forming complete sentences, people tend to speak in these run-on sentences. And it particularly comes out when you're a little bit unsure of the territory you're entering in a conversation. And I've listen, listened to um, listen to people that I have seen as hosts on podcasts, and they won't say like, uh, and um, but then there'll be guests, and then they'll start doing it. And <laughs> it's because, you know, when the spotlight's on you, when you're a little bit uncomfortable, you resort to these different ways of diction and the way you use your grammar. And, um, you know, that, that, that need for precision, I think is important in our, in our life and, you know, for listeners and all that. And, you know, I get to script a lot of the time when I make my content, but when I go on podcasts, I'm trying to become a little bit better as to not waste too much time with filler words or to, to say things that are just not too cohesive. Um, you can transcript what I just said. It was probably one big run on <laughs> sentence, but you get my point. Um, so that's how it's changed me quite a bit is, is just in the way that I speak. Um, what was the other part of your question? Well, it was, it was, it was, what have you learned about the world as well? I noticed that, um, just before you go on to that, N Natalie mm -hmm. Brunel, we had her on a little while ago and man, you want to talk about someone that uses zero filler words as very yeah. precise with her language. Mm -hmm. And usually these interviews, these, these podcasts on discovering Bitcoin may run over an hour or so, depending on the energy or whatever. But that was under an hour of just pure, concise precision. And Signal. all of her points got fired out and it was mm -hmm. just an impressive, um, uh, see, I just did it then. <laughs> it was just a very impressive. Uh, yeah. Don't make me, don't make me feel, you feel too self-conscious about it because I have to deal with it now all the time. <laughs> uh, when I interview people, yeah. because I realize I have to cut all the likes out or else they just don't look nearly as intelligent when I know they are. <laughs> Cause it's just, a, it's like, it's a tick. It's a tick that you do when you're just a little bit off, you know, you're not a hundred percent confident, right? Yeah. Dilutes your point a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what have you learned about um, the world? On the point of Natalie Brunel, I, I met her for the first time. I interviewed her a while back. Um, she's incredibly, um, you know, she's just so professional and, and you're right. I think it's years of having to be a guest on Fox news and knowing that you have, you know, two minutes or three minutes to get your point across and every like takes up, you know, a quarter of a second. And if you're going to litter 20 of them in a sentence, you're losing valuable time to get a, a message across. So, you know, she understands the, uh, the, the value of being, um, 
very concise with your speech. In terms of the world, um, I think there's this internal struggle that Bitcoiners deal with, uh, which is to deal with how positive or negative we are for the future. I think all Bitcoiners sort of envision a big collapse at some point, you know, a collapse of the fiat system, a revolution, something big that just changes culture, the, the destruction of the reserve currency, some big traumatic event uh, that will result in lives lost, fortunes lost, all these things. But on the other side of it, we do see that humanity will progress, right? that we will get through whatever challenges we have and we will persist as a human race. As long as a meteor doesn't come in and wipe us all out, we're going to just keep building whatever we destroy on our own accord. As long as there are some of us left, we will continue. And so um, Elon Musk put out this really interesting tweet. I'll see if I can dig it up because I think it's pretty important. And he did a really good job of um, being concise about it. Um. It was about how the real fight is not between the right and the left, but rather between humanists and extinctionists. And that extinctionists don't think of themselves as that way explicitly. They will surround themselves in moral superiority. We have to protect the environment by having fewer kids, all this stuff. But it all sort of goes into this uh, just basic conversation of whether humans are, are good or bad, really. And he did a really good job of tweeting this out. And, and I, I realized this when I read this book called Fossil Future by Alex Epstein. And it was a really interesting book about how, you know, we can talk about all the pollution and the CO2 and the byproducts of fossil fuels, but you, no one ever talks about how humanity has basically, you know, had life extensions, uh, ability to live all over the planet, all these m powerful, powerful things from our mastery of using fossil fuels. Um, and I've really internalized a lot of that stuff, you know, about, you know, it is powerful that we have these things at our disposal. They allow people to live much longer lives, wealthier lives, healthier lives, despite all the emissions, right? Um, and so when I look at the world now and I talk to people, I sort of reach a conclusion when I meet someone new, if they're a humanist and they believe in humans as a force for good on this planet or if there's an extinctionist and they believe that ultimately that humans are are bad and a negative thing and it's not a good thing that um you know we populate the earth and we try and have mastery over it um and you know that's basically what everything boils down to it's like you know veganism is a lot of that right like humans are consuming animals that we shouldn't and we're disrupting natural habitats and all that and and there's always truth there's always truth in some of that stuff but you dig deep enough down and uh it's especially when i start hearing people say i don't want to have kids uh we don't need any more people on this planet that i really get the sense of what the next set of ideological principles are that they have if you're the type of person that says, I don't want to have kids, kids are bad for the planet, then you're probably someone who also believes that the ice caps are going to melt in like four or five years or something like that, right? Um, it just, yeah, Elon Musk and his tweet there just really got it down in one sentence. And, uh, and it's sad. And I really hope that, you know, through the work that I do and I put out there, I can pull more people out of this idea of, you know, extinctionism and that humans are, are a net bad force for the planet and pull them onto the side of that 
you know, humans are not only a good thing for one another, but they're good for the planet too. One of the things I like to think about is that um, biodiversity is is so much a human creation. Like there are some naturally occurring things, but I was learning the other day that like what you and I eat as like bananas uh, <laughs> did not exist like that. They were full <laughs> of seeds and were basically inedible. And, and we've through generations of like agricultural engineering, we've made so much more edible fruit. And, you know, there's always an argument like, oh, that's bad. We intervened with nature or whatever. And now, you know, we've caused, uh, you know, plagues of this regard or that regard and GMOs and all that stuff. But I mean, we've radically increased the biodiversity on this planet through uh, just experimentation. We've brought bees all over the planet. Bees used to be only on the equator and now they're in every single uh, you know, province and, and city and state and country in the world. And they contribute a large factor to all the diversity of, uh, you know, plant life and food that we have. Um, you know, humans are amazing at taking care of other animals in a way that animals take care of each other too. And we don't realize that is that, you know, animals, you, you've probably seen videos of like a dog helping a pig across the road and all that. And so animals like you know, there is a prey and predator structure that exists, but when you put two different animals from different life form, from different uh, origins together, they can become friends and, and symbiotic and help one another. And that phenomena doesn't really happen without the human that, that transports one animal from one place to another and creates that kind of moment mm -hmm. of beauty. Uh, so I don't know. I, I look at humans as like a really positive force now. And I think Bitcoin has played a large part into that by helping me kind of see past all of the i guess impending in, in destruction and lead me down these different roads of, of interpreting literature and reading about nonfiction. so yeah i am firmly a humanist i believe that everything is going to work out in the end for all of us that humans are going to make the right choice when it comes to sound money that the truth always wins in the end and that if you're frustrated with the state of the world uh, whether you're a Bitcoiner or you're environmentalist, just be the change you want to seek, right? Mm -hmm. Go out there, make videos, be an activist, and it'll fulfill you, even in the moments of frustration when it feels like no one's listening, because eventually someone will listen and it will matter. So, yeah. That was cool, man. That was really cool. It's it's such an important thing, because even just for your own sake, as you just said, you know, who, who really... Um, who really minds whether or not someone actually listens and you could make thousands of hours of content and, and, you know, penetrate a tiny percentage. Um, but I know with this podcast and I've been surprised at the reaction of it, but, um, like as a, as a good thing, but I didn't really set out, I don't care whether or not anyone kind of listened. It was more just therapy for me <laughs> to get, to just reaffirm that I wasn't too insane with some of that's, the thinking. You know, that's so that you use, I don't know if that was from what I said, but you used the exact word that I used when I described why I made my first video. It was therapy. Yeah. To, yeah, to yeah. get out there and express my thoughts. That was like the first video I made. I said, I'm doing it because it's, it's therapy to get over getting rug pulled. Yeah, that's what you said. I mean, it's, it's kind of self, um, self important perhaps. And, you know, there's a running joke on Twitter at the moment about, you know, um, does anyone not have a podcast? And it's like, yeah, well, I mean, the barrier to entry is so damn low. And why shouldn't mm -hmm. the barrier to entry be so damn low? And why shouldn't there be more podcasts about anything and everything? I wish that more people would put more um, 
more uh, intent into the to the quality of their production because there's there's topics and things that I'd love to listen to that there are podcasts that exist, but the audio sucks on it, so I can't can't mm-hmm. get through that um, to to glean the information that I'm I'm requiring. So, you know, the more the merrier, I say, and let's grow the pie. Well, and, and that's I mean that's something again. Like there's always a positive spin on this. Technology gets better and better and cheaper and cheaper. And the free market will demand higher quality out of the audio. And yeah. so you might want to start a podcast, but if your audio is not good, no one's going to listen. And then your immediate feedback, your signal out of that is that, well, maybe your content's good. You'll get one con- comment that says your content's great, but I can barely understand what he's saying or she's saying. You get a better microphone. And now the microphones are only like 50 bucks. So all these things will take care of themselves. Yeah. yeah, it's it's error correction over time. And I think those Malthusians that um, think that humans are, you know, like there was that thing during COVID, um, like humans are the virus or something. There was a bunch of stickers going around the city. You know, it was like, uh, after all of this, it turns out that we're the virus. And it's just, it's, it's such a counterintuitive thing because it's so embedded. It's again, it's one of those unlearning moments. It's one of those opportunities mm-hmm. to de frag or um you know i don't know if the word is decalcify or uncalcify your brain um but to to sort of recognize as you say like the 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 idea that fossil fuels have contributed an enormous amount of um net benefit to human flourishing and you know there's that stat that he that alex epstein talks about that 98% of climate related deaths have it's fallen by 98% over the last hundred years, I mean, you cannot deny, like, you can't argue with those statistics. It's just like, mm. it's just, you know, eat it and weep. Um, have you read much of Julian Simon's The Ultimate Resource? No, I haven't read that. Yeah, because he, 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 uh, safe again, he goes the, into depths about that, but talks about, you know, how effectively he had a, he had a, a bet with this guy, Paul Ehrlich, in the 70s, this guy, Julian Simon. Oh, Paul Ehrlich is the guy who is about saying a fly that we're going to have like a global freezing or whatever. Yeah, it was a global freezing and then we're going to run out of, you know, oil and peak oil and stuff like that. And it's, it's, uh, it's just one giant long grift and scam um, perpetuated by not necessarily evil people, but people just uh, following their incentives, which uh, tend to be, you know, embedded within um, some sort of quintillion idea of um, money printing or seniorage or whatever. But um, being on the watch for that sort of Malthusian fear spells is really important. And, and, and I totally align with, with how you've, I don't know if you've 180 that, but, you know, I used to beat myself up a little bit about like climate change and shit like that all the time and um, spent a significant portion of, of, my, of my life pursuing an idea that I thought would contribute to the mitigation of the wholesale destruction of the planet, right? Mm-hmm. And the core thesis is still directionally correct. It was all of those other things laid on top of it like those uh, anti-humanist sort of perspectives. And, you know, mm. when people say like, oh, I'm not going to have kids, like I would, I would one of those, not in a sort of like ideological, I'm not going to have kids. It was just, I don't want kids because I'm too much of a selfish prick. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but now I, um, I mean, I've never said this on the pod before, but I, 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 have, I have a family 
And it's literally one of the greatest things I have ever done in my entire life. It is awesome. Day-to-day can be a little bit painful, but over the long term, like, man, it's, it's phenomenal. And so now I'm like, if anyone says to me, oh, I'm, I'm not having kids because there's too many people on the planet, I'm like, sweet. Well, let's just draw that to its logical conclusion and let's start mm. with you because <laughs> that's where all this is headed, right? So why don't you just, I don't know, remove yourself. Well, yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, maybe this is like a little bit uh, like, you know, jarring, but it's like all these extinctionists, they're going to lose anyways, just by nature of that mindset, right? Like, okay, you, you, you have all these like crazy views about the world. Oh, and you're not going to have kids. Oh, that means in like 90 years, my kids aren't going to have to deal with your kids spreading <laughs> their, their bullshit in the schools because you won't have any, right? Perfect. So I win. <laughs> have fun staying yeah have fun staying extinct yeah <laughs> oh sensational yeah i mean it is just amazing the 180 perspective and that's half the impetus for the pod was just like mm-hmm. recognizing the change that goes through and you know over the course of this year just having conversations like this and people have this one set of ideas and then they finally grok this thing or at least and allowed themselves to begin to grok this thing. And they've just gone, whoa, okay, maybe there's more to it. And, and it's had a, a transformational effect uh, on themselves as an individual, which then radiates outward mm. to those, pardon me, those closest to them. And then inevitably, uh, given enough time to the community, and then that's how you scale. That's how you get to the Hayekian emergent complexity mm-hmm. where you can have murmurations of starlings all acting in self-interest, but at scale, it just looks like this beautiful ballet on, at, on, you know, dancing across the sky of these birds, you know, creating this beautiful cloud formation sort of thing. It's, uh, it's phenomenal. That's civilization. Mm-hmm. I like that. How do you explain Bitcoin? How do I explain Bitcoin? Oh, I hate it when people ask me this question because it's like what I do, but I, I don't have one answer that I've sort of memorized. Um, I, I think it's just, it's, it's the evolution of money. People don't think about the properties of money, but when I ask you what makes for good money, you're going to tell me something like, oh, well, it's got to be stable. Uh, it's got to be reliable. I've got to be able to, you know, have it divisible and all these things and and what i do is when i talk to people about it i try and break down all of those factors you know divisible fungible scarcity we don't talk about that enough in money obviously and i say well you know if you look at all the features of money we know that there's flaws in them and the point of technology is to improve everything and i believe and i think everyone believes that money can be made better it can be made more fair it can be made easier to use it can be made you know easier to use across borders and all these things and bitcoin hits off all the criteria that we're looking for for the evolution of money and we should pursue that and you know half the people are like huh that sounds awesome and then the other half of the people are like oh yeah but it's like volatile it's bad for the environment all this and then the conversation then evolves into, well, let me, uh, you know, let me dispel all of those FUD pieces. But hey, at least you're being engaged. 
and now we're having a conversation about the evolution of money. So it all just ties back to that for me. It is the next step of human progress. We moved from glass beads to stones to gold to paper, but we haven't really asked ourselves why. We all know what happened, but we don't really ask enough why. And that's all I'm trying to get people to do is just ask why more often. And the logical conclusion will be that in the 21st century, uh, we have the technology for yet another upgrade that only comes every few thousand years. And that's why Bitcoin's important. Nice. Very cool. What does Bitcoin mean to you then? Um, Bitcoin means choice. It means no forced coercion to participate into it. No, uh, it, it, it just, I don't know. I, I like, I get a little, I get a little uneasy when, when people say stuff, not uneasy, but like when people say taxation is theft, like, yeah, if you don't pay your taxes, you go to jail. So technically they are taken from you at risk of basically losing all of your freedom and privileges um, in a, in a society. Um, and I agree that it would be great if we had a system where, you know, you have to voluntarily give up your wealth to pay for the things through taxation or just have very minimal to no taxation at all would be optimal. Um, but what Bitcoin really means to me is, uh, it's a, it's a foundation to actually build a better future. Um, nothing good out of civilization has come from short-term thinking and everything about fiat forces people to go in a survival mode and not think about the future from the buildings that we occupy to the food that we eat to the, the jobs that we take everything about the fiat system, a money that is intentionally designed to debase over time forces people to make decisions that are only good for them and uh only important in the short term and at the expense of long-term decision making and no good progress in humanity through any generation has ever come from a bunch of short-term thinkers it's come from long-term thinkers all the wealth that has accrued over the last 20 years in technology um you know besides the people who inherit it have come from long-term thinkers that have had their zero to one moments that have had a vision for the future they've somehow been able to not get you know pummeled over by the fiat system and build something that they think is going to be here for 100 years whether it's elon musk jeff bezos you know whatever and so if we have a monetary system where everyone's incentives are aligned to think like that we can become much more productive as a society and as a planet and uh there's a learning hurdle to figure out how does changing the money you know cause all that alignment but once you get there you can't look back i mean that's the only way forward for us to really have a future to look forward to for the next 50 and 100 years and you know bitcoin won't fix everything there's still going to be malincentives there's still going to be people who will say i don't like this system because i can't print money and go to war and they'll rebuild fiat all over again but at least we will have this baseline to say hey if you play by bitcoin's rules like everyone else you can have this sort of future or you can have a fiat future and and showing people that there is another way is the most important thing that we as bitcoiners can do uh to prove our optimism and our resilience uh, for a better future perfect couldn't have yeah. said it better julian figueroa thank you for spending some of your scarce time and finite energy. 
Telling Can us I add title? one more thing? Yeah, man. I've been I've been such a proponent of doing this. Um, I am critical of Bitcoiners a little bit because we like to build our own echo chambers. Here comes the spice. All right. I love it. It's not not super spicy. It's not super spicy. We like to build our own echo chambers and we love to share stuff from the most notable authors in the space, the Michael Saylors and all that. I implore you as a listener of this show, you are listening to someone who doesn't have 20,000 followers, who's not getting paid thousands of dollars an episode per sponsor. Uh, who hopefully will one day because you're killing it, but <laughs> go out there and seek other creators. I don't think I've even come close to making it, but if it were not for the people that really pushed my content when I had like 10, 20 followers, I would not be here today. It's so important to go out there and look for other creators and to elevate their stuff if you think it's valuable. So I'm going to give a couple shout outs to people that I think are really important in the space who are doing amazing work. Uh, one of them is Max DeMarco. He makes amazing short form documentaries on Bitcoin, traveling all over the world, um, just cutting edge, like really cinematic stuff. And it's super worth sharing with your friends and family. Um, Joe Nakamoto, uh, Coin Telegraph. He's done some amazing documentaries as well. I believe you've had him on your show. Um, it, when it comes to products, uh, the Shamari people, I did a video for them, Shamari. Uh, they make kids products that teach about bitcoin and they're so well crafted and amazing at getting your kids really interested in bitcoin so if you're a bitcoiner and you have kids you should have some shamari products whether it's the stuffies or the card games or the storybooks <laughs> um bitcoin trading cards who i've just started working with are creating something amazing mind-blowing how cool that project is but anything to do with bitcoin culture bitcoin history bitcoin future and concepts they're making these collectible cards with and they are so cool as a bitcoin you can get into it as a collector or they have these genesis packs now that you can uh, share with people um sovereign energy which i just met those guys at pacific bitcoin they're making a bitcoin inspired energy drink competitor to monster prime all those that's just coming out i don't even think you can buy it yet um, but that's super cool. Um, if you're a Spanish speaker, Adrian Trevino is doing the same type of 60 second Bitcoin breakdown stuff, but in Spanish. And he is the best I've seen at it um, in that niche. So go check out his stuff, Adrian Trevino. Um, and God, who else? There's there's so many, but I'm, every time I do a podcast appearance, I'm going to try and name drop a couple people because it's just worth checking out these other creators and uh, elevating elevating them. So do your part as a Bitcoiner. I'm for you. I'm for your other guests. Raise these people who are just getting started in the space up um, because the the Bitcoin companies that we have today, and I love them. You know, they're doing such a great job at at you know sponsoring content, throwing conferences, and all that. But their marketing teams and their marketers are from the fiat world. And so what they need to see constantly is they need to see an ROI. They need to see a certain amount of referrals. They need to see a certain amount of uh, signups when they sponsor a creator. And so they go with these really big name people. And there's only like maybe 10 podcasters that can really command a $1,000 sponsorship per show. And so all the companies, they're, they're, it's, it's like the Pareto principle. They're, they're getting all the sponsorships. What I implore the Bitcoin companies to do, if any of them are listening, is to go out, sponsor shows like this one, sponsor smaller creators, take risks, forget about the sign-up referral ROI, be a part of Bitcoin or culture. It will pay off in spades when these creators have their zero to one moment like I sort of did the other day. And you get to be a part of making that history. And maybe your boss is pissed off because you don't get as many referrals. But if you can find creators that are going to create 
evergreen works that are going to last years on end it's only upside to find them when they're small and to make their dreams happen and to be a part of that and to be proud of that when you look back and they're much bigger creators when this space inevitably grows and expands so yeah that's my rant support creators of your company support them if you're an individual and uh let's let's bring everyone up Right on, man. I mean, look, if you're if you're listening, you can support this show. I never I never actually shill anything on this on this pod with respect to um, Fountain or anything like that. But yeah, you can you can you can zap me. You can listen on on Fountain Do stuff. It. I Do always it. have this like show, real zap it, version zap to it, it <laughs> zap know? it, Fountain it, whatever, man. Make it happen. I I, I want. You know, and I understand some people are are doing this as like a side thing. This is not your full time job, but I I want. I want there to be a viable path for people who are passionate about Bitcoin to make it a full-time job. I think the only reason there aren't more creators in this space is because they think, oh, it's a bear market. Like, I'm not going to become a Bitcoin creator. Maybe I'll try in the bull market. No, we got to make it seem and not seem, but we got to make it a reality that good Bitcoin content creators, podcasters, filmmakers, artists can get the funding from the community now to make their dreams a reality. And so, you know, be the model you want to see, uh, support the show, and then you'll have a podcast studio by the next bull run. <laughs> you know, uh, if you're starting a, a, any kind of content creation around Bitcoin in a bull market, that's going to be some raw, awkward kind of content. You're better off building in the bear and, and making all yeah. those fuck ups and mistakes when not many people are watching. Um, cause you can iterate, you can refine, you can, um, push the progression. Exactly. Uh, you know, but Julian Figueroa, thank you for sharing some of your scarce time, finite energy, telling us the tale of how you discovered Bitcoin. It is a privilege to talk to people like you from all across the world who have discovered this neutral protocol which has been elegantly engineered and is affecting people in ways that they never imagined. And I always like to pull on that thread and hear that story. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. And I'm so looking forward to where this podcast goes in the future, man. You're an excellent host. Yeah.